and quick wit made him 
Sage came to visit Abu Khan, he found the great man reclining on a bolster. So, I have heard so much about you. There is no one in Afghanistan who admires you more. I have brought you a present, said Rahman. He gave Abu Khan a nice plump chicken. Abu Khan was delighted. He offered his guest some tea and fruit. After a while, Rahman left. A month later, Rahman returned. Abu Khan didn't recognize him. Don't you remember me? asked the astonished man. I came last month and gave you a fat chicken. Oh, yes, of course, said Abu, unenthusiastically. I remember. Sit down. Abu Khan gave Rahman some chicken soup. After a while, the man went away. A few days later, some people came to Abu Khan's house. We are friends of Rahman, who gave you that nice plump chicken, they said. Abu Khan asked them to make themselves at home. He went into the kitchen and peered into a cloudron. There was a small amount of chicken soup sticking to the bottom. Abu Khan added some water to the soup and heated it up. Then he poured the thin liquid into some soup bowls and served it to his guests. The men ate up the soup. They thanked him and went away. Some days passed. A small band of people turned up at Abu Khan's doorstep. Who in Allah's name are you people? demanded Abu Khan. Annoyed at being disturbed, you don't know us, said one smilingly, broadly. But we are the neighbors of those friends of Rahman's who were here the other day. Welcome, welcome, said Abu Khan, smiling even more broadly. You must be tired after your long walk. Please sit down while I fetch you some refreshments. The men promptly made themselves at home, leaning comfortably on Abu Khan's bolsters. Abu Khan rushed into his kitchen and made himself busy. He added a little bit of salt and lots of pepper to some hot water and served it to his guests. One of them said, joking, This is very good soup. What is it? Oh, said Abu Khan casually. This soup is made of the water added to the dregs of the soup made of the chicken that your neighbor's friend brought me some weeks back. Raymond's friend's neighbors tittered loudly. They never came back to visit Abu Khan again. That's the end of the story. Now we'll be approaching to a new story. It is called The Moving Hill. This is a Sri Lankan story. Gestures were known for their ability to wriggle out of trickly situations while gaining the maximum advantage themselves. Read this story about a Sri Lankan gesture as smart as any in the world. In the hilly kingdom of Gandhi, there lived a man named Ander. 
ancestor of the king of Ogandi. People loved Ande for his sense of humor and his intelligence. One day, the court jester happened to hear a rich man speaking. To someone, I really wish someone could help me move the hill right in the middle of my lands. I would be able to grow twice as much rice then, said the rich farmer. And there thought quickly, how could he take advantage of the rich man's desire? So, he said, stepping up to the man, I couldn't help overhearing what you said. If there is one man in the kingdom of Gandhi who can help you move that hill, it's me. I can move it as far as the forest. Far away, the rich man didn't recognize the gold jester. Well, my man, how exactly will you do that? He asked a little suspiciously. I can't tell you my great secrets, replied Andair mysteriously. But if that's what you want done, I can do it. The rich man said at once, fine, but I'm sure you'll want a fat sum as payment. No, sir, replied Andair in oily tones. I'm not a greedy fellow. Besides, I really like helping people out. But you must accept some type of fee, persisted the rich man, puzzled. Well, there is one thing I would like, admitted Andair. If you could feed me with rice and black folds too, for the time that it takes me to complete the job, it would help me keep my strength up. The rich man, sorry, the rich landlord agreed promptly. There couldn't be anything cheaper than this, he thought. So, for the next few months, morning and night, Andair went to the rich man's house and fed sumptuously on rice and black fall stew. His attendance there was so regular that he neglected going to court. As time passed, Andair grew nice and fat, his plump face shining with good health and cheer. One day, the rich man asked him how he was getting along with his job. Almost done so, replied Andair at once. In fact, I was just going to ask you to tell the people of the town to gather at the bottom of the hill tomorrow. After all, it's not every day that they can see a hill being moved. Pleased, the rich man invited the townsfolk to his fields. The next day, a huge crowd gathered to watch and dare perform his miracle. And there went as usual to the rich man's house for his morning meal of rice and black fall stew. After stuffing himself to his heart's content, he casually made his way to the hill where everyone was waiting. Andair placed a bit leaf on his shoulder. Then turning to the rich man, he said, So, please ask all these people to pick up a piece of the hill and place it on my shoulder. Then I'll be able to carry the hill away as far as that forest. Only then did the rich man realize that he had been tricked. It was 
still and air. He went home quickly, the laughter of the people ringing unpleasantly in his ears. As for Endare, for days after days, he had happy dreams of the wonderful rice and black folds too. So that is the end of the story of that Sri Lankan folk tale. Now it's time of a Nepali animal fable. The owl and the elephant. Deep within a forest on an oak tree there lived an owl. Under the same tree an elephant would come each day to rest. Over time the owl and the elephant became great friends. One day the elephant was wandering about the forest in search of food. By mistake he stumbled into some demons. As soon as the king of the demons saw the large animal, he began shrieking. There he is, that's him, who, who, squeaked his frightened companions. I dreamed last night that I ate an elephant. He looked just like this fellow. I want you to catch him so I can eat him and make my dream come true. The demon king's followers jumped on the poor quaking elephant and tied him up. The demon was just about to take a huge juicy bite out of him when the owl caught sight of his friend. Immediately the owl started screeching loudly. He swooped down on the startled demons and began circling around the demon queen's head. It's she, it's she, hooted the owl. The frightened demon queen flung her hands around wildly, trying to brush off the owl's attack. The demon king sprang in front of his wife. Stop this nonsense, you silly owl. You seem to be confusing my queen with someone else. No, 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 shouted the owl. It's she I saw in my dream last night. I'm going to marry this beautiful demon. The demon king was annoyed. She's my wife. You can't marry her, he yelled. Meanwhile, the demon queen was in a great fury. You fool, she said to her husband. Can't you even keep me safe from an owl? The demon king was terrified of his wife. My dear, please don't be angry. I will get rid of this foolish bird at once. Addressing the owl, he said, you be off. You can't marry the queen just because you did so in your dreams. Dreams are meant to be dreams. I'm going to let this elephant go to prove what I'm saying is true. And so the elephant was released. He fled at once, thanking his smart friend for saving his life. The next tale is Chinese folktale. The name of the story is Expensive Shade. A long time ago, in a village in China, there lived a man named Li Peng. He was very rich, but extremely miserly. Li Peng built himself a magnificent house right outside on the street. There stood a beautiful mulberry tree. The rich man enjoyed the tree's shade throughout the year, but because it stood right outside his house, Li Peng believed that 
was ever allowed to rest in its shade. One hot summer's day, Li Peng was annoyed to find a shabbily dressed man stretched out under the tree. Hey you, he said, what do you think you are doing lying here? Get up at once. The poor man, Hu Min, was astonished. I just want to rest in the trees and shade a while. After all, it's on the road. It belongs to everyone. Li Peng was furious. No, this tree is outside my house, so it belongs to me. No one may lie in its shade but me. Hu Min stretched his head. Thoughtfully, well then, he said, why don't I buy the tree's shade from you? Here's some money. Hu Min held out a few shiny coins. Li Peng's eye glittered at the sight of the money. All right, he said, snatching the coins. You can lie in the shade if you like. Hu Min came each day to rest in his shade, depending on what time it was. The shade traveled to different parts of Li Peng's house. Sometimes it was in his living room, sometimes in his kitchen, at other times in his courtyard. Naturally, Hu Min followed the shadow everywhere so that he could rest in it. He was usually alone, but there were days when he invited his friends along with their cattle to rest in the tree's shade. Li Peng was annoyed to find Hu Min in different parts of his house, but he was forced to keep quiet since he had sold the tree's shade to the other man. One day, Li Peng was hosting a grand tea party for some of the very important guests. As he ushered in his guests, he was aghast to see Hu Min reclining against the silken cushions in his living room. What are you doing here? He hissed at Hu Min. Get out of here at once. Why should I? asked Hu Min casually. After all, I paid you for the tree's shade. Can't you see? It's right here, falling on your cushions. Li Peng's guest heard Hu Min's reply. They burst out laughing. What a pretty fellow their host was. Had he actually sold the shade of the tree? The guests ate their fill, offering the delighted Hu Min some food. One day, 
a small bit of rice. The old man and his wife shared the water that the rice had been cooked in. The cooked rice was saved carefully for later, said Mabo, chewing on half an onion and a chili. Tomorrow, when I go looking for greens in the river, I may catch a nice big fish. If I do, how will you cook it? How much of it will I get? Sakina B gave a small laugh. First, get me the greens and don't worry about the fish. No, I'm serious, insisted the old man. Tell me how you will cook that fish. I'm definitely going to catch tomorrow. Sakina B felt sorry for her husband. All right, then I'll have to borrow a knife to cut the fish and clean it. We sold our knife, remember? I'll borrow it from the neighbor's wife. But I must make sure that she doesn't know about the fish. Otherwise, we'll have to share it with them. Mabob was happy at the thought of the big fish he would catch the next day. Oh, they have helped us out in times of need, so it won't matter if we give them a small few pieces of fish. Sakinabi said furiously, Why should I give them any of the fish? The other day, someone gifted them a chicken and they never bothered to share it with us. I'll manage to borrow the knife somehow, don't worry. She thought for a minute. I'll need some oil, salt and turmeric to cook the fish with. A little bit chili powder. Onion and garlic would be nice too. Mabob said, tomorrow I'll go get everything from the shop. I'll offer my labor for a couple of hours and the shopkeeper will oblige us, I'm sure. We can eat the fish with the rice we have saved today. Tomorrow you go catch the fish, buy the spices and bring it all back to me. Then go back to the shop to work. By the time you are home, I'll have everything ready. But don't dwaddle. If I get hungry, I'll eat my share. Mabob said laughingly, You'll eat more than my your share. I know you. I want to know how much my share will be. After all, I got the fish. True, but I'm the one who is going to cook it, replied Sakinabi. But if you insist, you can watch me cut the fish before you can leave. Then you'll know exactly how many pieces are yours. The old couple went to bed. Sakinabi slept, dreaming of the fish she would cook the next day. Mabob shut his eyes. He decided to be very careful not to let the fish wriggle out of his hands. After all, it was not every day that you got such a nice big shiny fish. That is the end of the story, guys. See how poor people are dreaming their feast. The next story is a Tibetan animal tale. It's called The Smart Frog. A crow saw a nice shiny frog sunning itself on a rock. At once she snatched him up and flew to a nearby roof to eat him. Just as the crow was about to pick him, 
The frog laughed softly. The crow was startled. Why are you laughing? She asked sternly. Sternly. Next story is about a smart frog. It is a Tibetan animal tale. A crow saw a nice shiny frog sunning him itself on a rock. At once she snatched him up and flew to a nearby roof to eat him. Just as the crow was about to peck at him, the frog laughed softly. The crow was startled. Why are you laughing? She asked sternly. Oh, never mind me, said the frog, still laughing. I was just thinking about that my father lives very close by. He is bound to take revenge on you when he finds out that you ate me up. The crow grew a little nervous. She darted quick glances all around and decided to take her meal elsewhere. The crow picked up the frog and flew to another part of the house. The crow was about to take a nip out of the frog when once more she could hear him chuckling. Why are you still laughing? She asked annoyed. Well, my uncle, who's even tougher than my father, lives around the corner. He is bound to hear about what you did. I feel sorry when I think about he'll do to you for killing his favorite nephew. The crow was alarmed. This was proving to be no easy meal. She flew down to a pond in the garden with the frog. Just as she was about to eat him up, the frog peeped up. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I noticed that your, your brick and cloaks I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I notice that your beak and claws have grown quite blunt. Why don't you sharpen them on a stone? That would make it easier to eat me. The crow said, that's a smart idea. Wait right here. I'll be back in a second. The minute the crow was out of sight, the frog leapt straight into the pond. When the crow came back, she was horrified to find the frog gone. Frog! Frog! Where are you? She cried. I'm back with my sharp and beak and claws. From the middle of the pond, the frog said, My dear crow, I decided to rest till you come back here. But I'm quite tired with my morning's doings. Why don't you come here and get me? So saying, the frog dived to the bottom of the pond. And that was how he outwitted the crow. Guys, this is going to be the last story for tonight. This is a Native American tale. The name of the story is The Story of Winter and Summer. Once upon a time, a great race of people lived close to where the sun rose. They were called the Womaniki or the Children of Light. Their chief was a remarkable man named Glooskap. He was a king and a resourceful ruler, a 
and his people loved him. In those days, the land was in the grip of snow and ice, and it was terribly cold. No fire was strong enough against the numbing weather. The corn froze to death. The close caps people were dying because of the cold and hunger. Then Chief Glooskap decided to take matters into his own hands. Somehow he had to save his people. So he set off north, going further and further into the realm of ice. At long last, he saw an icy white wigwam. There lived the great giant Winter. It was his frigid breath that had turned the land to ice. Boldly, Glooskap walked into Winter's house and sat himself down. Winter gave him a pipe to smoke, which Glooskap accepted gratefully, for he was cold. Then the giant told him tales of ancient times, when he had regained the earth, and the land was silent, white, and beautiful. As Winter spoke, his cold magic was such that he cast a spell upon Glooskap, who fell fast asleep, numbed by the giant's frosty voice. For six months he slept like a bear, holding his warmth in. At last the charm wore off, for he was a strong man, and Glooskap woke up. Soon after this, Glooskap's messenger, the loon, a wild bird, who lived on the lake shores, brought him strange news. There is a country far away to the south, he said, where it is always warm. It is the home of summer, who can easily defeat the, and get rid of the cold winter. Maybe you can ask her to help you. So Glooskap decided to find summer and save his people. Off he went, this time in a southerly direction. Soon he came to the sea, where at once he broke into a magic song to summon whales. Sure enough, a whale appeared. It was his old friend and carrier, who had taken him to many places across the sea. I must go find Summer, said Glooskap. The whale said, I will take you, but you must shut your eyes when you are on my back. If you don't, I am sure to go aground on a reef or sandbar, and you could be drowned. Glooskap agreed and got on the whale's back, and for many days they traveled together. Every day, as they went deeper and deeper south, the water grew warmer and milder, and the air gentler and sweeter, for it was filled no longer with salt, but with the fragments of flowers and fruits. Soon the water grew shallow, the calms that lived there tried to warn the whale about this, but she did not understand them. She turned to Glooskap and asked him what they said, for he possessed the key to every creature's tongue. Glooskap was impatient, wishing to land at once, so he said, they are asking us to hurry up, for a storm is expected. The whale trusted him and rushed on till she was close to land. Then Glooskap did what she had asked him not to, opened one eye to look. Instantly the poor whale was beached. The Glooskap leapt 
was furious and sad, thinking she would die, but Glooskap sent her off to sea with a mighty push. Then Glooskap sent off inland, and at every step it grew warmer and more pleasant. Soon he came to a forest where he saw a lovely, smiling woman with long hair full of spring flowers. She was dancing merrily at the center of a group of girls. He had found summer. Glooskap heart lightened with happiness. Here was she who could melt winter's icy heart with her warm magic. Before summer realized what was happening, Glooskap caught her firmly and began to journey to the wintry north. Old Winter was not dismayed to see Glooskap and his other visitor, planning to cast his chilly spell on them again and put them to sleep. But before he could begin his cold tales, Glooskap hurried into speech. He spoke with so much passion and heat that beads of sweat gathered on the old giant's brow. At last, Old Winter realized that his powers were fading and he felt cold in his heart, but he could do nothing and his icy wigwam soon melted away. Then Sama took a deep breath and everything came to life. Instantly the grass grew green and the snow melted into rivers and the dead leaves were blown away. The cold giant let fall great big teardrops to see his power steam. Then warm-hearted Summer said, Don't cry, I am more powerful than you, but I will give you the land far north. There I shall never trouble you, for half the year you may come to. Glooskap's land and reign here, but you must never use your powers to the fullest. Then six months have passed, I will return from my southern home, and then it will be my time to reign this land. Poor old Winter had no choice but to agree to Summer's suggestion. And so it happens that the icy giant returns for half the year to Glooskap's home, but he takes care not to be too severe. And when six months have passed, the young and beautiful summer comes and brings everything back to life with a warm, kind touch. So that is the end of the bedtime story session, guys. Have a good night's sleep. Be relaxed.